Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is episode 36. To me, a wonderful part of living in the greater Sarasota area is it attracts top-notch medical professionals who want to live here too. One young sports doctor with credentials from the Cleveland Clinic and direct experience with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cleveland Indians recently opened a facility in the Bradenton area. His goal? To become the premier sports medicine and sports rehab facility in the area. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. I believe to better understand the town that you live in, you must hear what our neighbors are saying, to hear their stories. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started it so that you, dear listener, could get connected just a little deeper with this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview anyone I believe is doing great work and impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors and artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, doctors, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. My guest today is Dr. Michael Sclafani, founder and owner of Tideline Sports Performance and Rehabilitation. In this episode, you'll hear why Dr. Sclafani chose orthopedics over law, why he's a CrossFit enthusiast, who should reach out to him if you have a sports injury, or you want to take your sport to a higher level, what it was like being on staff with the Cleveland Cavaliers, what an initial consultation looks like, what dry needling is and why it's preferred over cupping, where he intends to take his practice, and much, much more. I'm so glad you joined us today, and it is my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Michael Sclafani, founder and owner of Tideline Sports Performance and Rehabilitation. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's good to have you on. I enjoy having medical professionals on because the industry is changing quickly. And as I was reviewing your website, there's some procedures that you guys do or, or some some techniques that you guys use that I'm really fascinated about. And uh, particularly since you are an orthopedist, you deal with a lot of athletes that have various injuries and whatnot. And so I'm going to be interested in getting into that in just a little bit. But before we get started, tell our listeners what's one thing few people know about you. One thing that I think a lot of people don't know about my background is that I was actually really into music growing up. And I played piano for about seven years, took a break from it. And then in high school, I taught myself how to play quite a few different instruments. 
and ended up being in the jazz band and marching band. So a lot of people think, oh, you work in sports medicine. You know, you've got all this huge athletic background resume. Right, and right. it's like, yeah, you know what? I was a marching band dork for for four years. So uh, <laughs> wore the little, uh, wore the plume and everything like that. And uh, oh, yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of come full circle now. And I think people people see me as sort of the sports medicine guy. And it's like, yeah, but I also still like music and listening to some old records cool. and things like cool. that. And you're a CrossFit guy, so that's that's I, I could say that's a man's sport, but there's some some women out there that really kill it too. So we're, we're, we'll talk about that a little bit. I'll say it's funny when you talk about being a band member or whatnot. I have a brother-in-law who who played for Ohio State and was in the marching band. And so what I found fascinating about it is, at least in the Columbus area, the marching band has as big a following as the football team. So I mean, that always blew me away. Of course, I always thought he was a dweeb anyways, but. <laughs> I'm still a dweeb at heart, so I feel him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyways. Well, so why orthopedics? Yeah, so I had gone through uh, quite a myriad of different injuries myself. So before I got into CrossFit, I actually played rugby and, you know, started to get banged up, things like that, and really just wanted to know a little bit more about how to take care of my own body, uh, kind of what's going on. I would really love sports performance, uh, so that aspect of it spoke to me as well. Um, it was just a lot of fun to try to put together sports medicine orthopedics almost like a puzzle, a lot of biomechanical Things and factors go into the way that people move. So yeah. that appealed to me. A lot of members of my family are also, also in healthcare. So it kind of guided me down the healthcare track. And then from there, trying to really specialize in sports medicine and physical therapy and rehabilitation. So it's been yeah. a lot of fun. So really to get your degrees, there's a lot of biology, kinesiology and all that sort of jazz. So were you a science kid in high school? Yeah, yeah, definitely love the sciences. Loved, I actually love literature as well. So definitely love some classical yeah. literature. So, but, uh, but yeah, definitely science was was where my heart was at, and I actually um, almost considered becoming a lawyer. And yeah. but again, you know, my family being in the healthcare business kind of led me down that track, and it just seemed a little bit more comfortable to go into healthcare. But, but yeah, I couldn't be happier with uh, with working in sports medicine and sports rehabilitation today. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, so take us through. So take us through your education. How, sure. What does it take to become an orthopedic doctor? Yeah. So my doctorate is in physical therapy. So it's a clinical doctorate, um, the same way that a lot of the other professions are for optometry, dentistry, things like that. And it's sort of the uh, it, now the entry level rehabilitation specialists that are coming out are all also doctors. So. We go through four years of undergraduate education, and from there, we go through three years of a doctorate-level training. I ended up doing an optional 18-month residency at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio to specialize oh, wow. in sports medicine. So wow. those are still optional. There's some debate about that right now about whether or not we should follow the traditional MD medical model and make residencies mandatory. Um, there's some you know mixed feelings about that. I personally think that you should not be a jack of all trades and a master of nothing, but really start to specialize in one particular area. How, so the Cleveland Clinic must be incredibly competitive. How in the world did you get a a place there? Oh, I got to thank Scott Yupi for that one. He uh, he was my mentor, the director of the residency program. He was awesome. You know, we when when I was in grad school, I knew that I wanted to do sports medicine, so I started really kind of absorbing as much knowledge as I could. I volunteered a little bit with uh, my local high school. So I'm from Cincinnati and then went to uh, grad school 
at University of Cincinnati. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of call upon some old connections in that area. And I volunteered on the sidelines just to help, to observe. I learned some ankle taping techniques, um, some different rehabilitation principles that I could use in the athletic training room. And I'm also a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So I did an internship at a place called D1. And there's a local franchise here off Lakewood Ranch Boulevard. And they're a huge sports performance facility. And I did a um, one summer, I did an internship specializing just in sports performance. So to be able to kind of blend some of the things that I was learning from my doctorate level program with some of the outside information like strength and conditioning, sports performance, and some of the uh, extra accoutrement with that goes along with that. Cool. So now, when you say D1, I would assume that's preparing people to make D1 teams. No, it's actually, it's, it's a great like adult boot camp. Uh, they have everything. They have adult okay. boot camp. They have development programs. They have some guys from the Cincinnati Bengals would come there and train in the off season. Um, we had people that were coming to look to go into the D1 college sports as well. But yeah, it's uh, D1 is just a facility for okay. sports performance, all ages, all levels. It's a, it's a great franchise. Okay. Well, that's really cool. So do you typically only deal with athletes? So now we do with, uh, with my company that we have now with the practice with Tideline Sports Performance, we try to focus just with people who are going back to some type of activity. And we actually just had somebody call on Monday asking if we could still see him, even though he wasn't a professional athlete. And our office manager was saying, of course you can. It is absolutely not just for professional athletes. We do have some professional athletes that come through. Cool. We have some very high level athletes, but we want to really target any active adult in the Sarasota, Bradenton, um, and even Venice and St. Pete area as well, who's looking to either recover from an injury, unlock their full potential, or just kind of learn how to move their body more efficiently and stay active and having fun doing the things that they like to do to help keep themselves healthy and right. confident. Right. Well, as I've reached my sixth sixth decade, <laughs> I'm looking for ways to stay active as well because it becomes much, much more difficult. I am a bit of a gym rat, primarily weights and, and uh, that type of stuff. I don't know if I have a CrossFit uh, in, in my, in my uh, ability to do that. But um, yeah, you end up with a lot of dingers. I mean, uh, we were talking before the show that I've had um, hip replacements, and which are, are great. I mean, I had a great doctor who did a wonderful job on that. But now, of course, I have a left shoulder who's giving me some problems from those overhead presses. And uh, so so I, I may, after the show, I may be uh, rolling into your driveway there and saying, <laughs> Hey, come knock on our up. door. You are more yeah. than welcome to. We see yeah. anybody that wants to get back to any type of activity. We just try to, um, we, we specialize so much in sports medicine. We try to really make sure that we kind of stay in that sports medicine bubble. And that includes, like I said, you know, Globo Gyms, F45, Orange Theory, um, just anybody who wants to stay right. active, golfers, pickleball, tennis, so which is I've right often, for this area. I've often been curious by the term sports medicine because I, I, I mean, the term itself talks about you're dealing with people, you know, athletes, they're doing sports and whatnot, but the injuries that they have to deal with are the same as anybody, whether you trip on some stairs or you're in an automobile accident or whatnot. So I, I, I think it's an interesting term, though. It is. And I think it's, um, you know, there are some people that would argue in the past that it's sort of, there's sort of a, uh, not a stigma, but it's almost kind of like an elitist type term sometimes where people are like, oh, I do sports medicine. It's almost like, right. you know, I, I'm the creme de la creme. And you have to have a certain sports medicine swagger, I think, in order to be in the industry. 
you know, right. you you can't work with, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cleveland Indians and, you know, be be a wet noodle. You have to really, really kind of have some bravado, a little confidence, a little backbone and, you know, be able to walk the walk, talk the talk type of deal. So I think that that's kind of where that sports medicine swagger came from. <laughs> well, now you did a stint with the Cleveland Indians and the Cavaliers. We did. What was that like? Oh, I'll tell you what. I had never been so intimidated in my life. So <laughs> it was, I started residency in August and it was October when we started working with the Cavs training camp. And, you know, I'm only a couple months in and I report to the Cleveland Cavaliers training facility, which is this beautiful Mecca, right? And they have what, five or six specialty cooks. They've got just the top of the line, everything, you know, media room, everything you'd yeah. come to expect from a professional arena. And I felt short, frumpy, and just was looking up at everybody. And the, uh, the, actually the owner of the Cavs at the time came up and I was doing a tour with one of my mentors and we were just kind of getting a lay of the land. And what's interesting about the Cavs is when you work with them, they actually force everybody to change out of their street clothes. And regardless of what, your job duty and responsibility is within the organization. They actually give you Cavs gear that you wear everything down to your socks and shoes. So I thought I really liked that. So even though we were coming in as the medical providers to work with them, we were dressed the same as the guys that were mopping down the floor. And it just kind of, it created this sense of equality. Like nobody's too good to do this. Was it, was, was that implemented by the sports psychologist? I don't know. I'll tell you what, but it was genius, wasn't it? Yeah. uh, Yeah. It was really, it was really interesting. And, you know, it was, I was a little, you know, starstruck. You meet some sure. guys, but at the end of the day, it's exactly what you said. They are just regular people. They happen to be amazing at whatever individual sport they're going back to. Um, they have a lot of, uh, a lot of genetic gifts. They have a lot of uh, training hours that have gone under to make it to that level. And at the end of the day, you know, sure. A knee is a knee, a shoulder is a shoulder and ankles an ankle. And, you know, I, I still treat some of the athletes that come in here to tideline sports performance with ankle injuries, the same way that I did with the guys that were coming in for the Cavs. They're just going back to a little bit different activity. That's all. Yes. Only a couple of times have I been kind of on the front row for football and basketball, professional athletes and whatnot. And obviously, TV does not do it justice. No, I mean, I mean, you're just—I I mean, I'm just gobsmacked. Uh, this this goes back a while, but I was at a high state football game with and Joey Galloway, who was a, a barn burner back in the '90s and whatnot, a wide receiver, and he just caught a little wide out pass, and two backs from the opposing team had the angle on him. And he turned on the Jets, and I was just gobsmacked at how fast. Not only he moved, but I mean, just the whole game. And it's just, and, and so I'm sure you got a, a bird's eye view of a lot of this. Oh, man. I had not been, uh, my dad is from New York. And so we would go to New York Knicks game all the time. So we get like nosebleed seats, right? You know, just go have fun right. and all that right. stuff at right. Madison Square Garden. When the first time that I went to the queue, the Quicken Loans Arena for the Cavs, and I'm like three rows up in the, uh, the medical staff seating the speed that those guys move. I mean, you, I couldn't whip my neck fast enough as I'm watching the power and the power Um, that these guys play with. We had, we had, uh, I can't say who, but we had a guy who's very well known with the Cavs and they had this, this little target training. They had a wall full of these, uh, these lights and it was supposed to be reaction timing, right? So they would light up in, in whatever random pattern and they had to tap it as fast as they could. 
watching them do this drill and they must have had 12 of their guys come through and this particular star from the Cavs doing it had the fastest time. It was so fast. I could barely register that the light was even on before wow. he even tapped it. Like their reaction speed, like you said, wow. it's just, you have to be there to really be able to appreciate it. But, well, I'm sure that was an incredible experience. Well, let's take us kind of up to, to up to today. Somebody, what's a, what's a typical case of someone who comes into your office? What are they looking for? Sure. A lot of people come in because they are dealing with some type of injury or some type of pain. So, um, you know, when we, when we walk through people through our office, um, we always try to create the same kind of Disney experience for everybody. And (laughs) I'm big into that where, you know, I don't care if you are a professional or a recreational athlete. Um, people come in, they're looking for anything from shoulder pain, low back pain, things like that. I think that the, the biggest things that people are looking for are, uh, empathy. They're looking for somebody who's knowledgeable and can educate them on what they have going on. And then they're looking for somebody to establish a plan of care and some type of treatment plan that's going to really help empower them to get out of whatever pain or dysfunction they're having. And those are really kind of, uh, kind of our three-step process that we go through with every patient that comes in, regardless of activity or activity level. So regardless of whether you're a professional athlete or D1 or, uh, you know, some guy like me off the street, it's the same procedure then. Same procedure. And, uh, yep, it's, there's nothing better than being treated like a professional without having to be a professional athlete. Yeah, of course. Of course. I like, I like to embody that because I think, you know, patient education and patient empowerment are my two big pillars, uh, that we try to employ here with the practice and, you know, just knowledge about what's going on, knowledge about how your body moves. And then not only that, but not just laying on the table and just having all these passive things done to you, but actually really empowering you to be able to take care of your own body. You know, if you're going to go and play a particular sport, you're going to go do a particular activity. You need to be able to uh, have some type of empowerment and some confidence to be able to move the way that you want to do and know that you're not made of glass, that you are actually, you're human, right? So you want to have fun with your friends. You want to have fun letting off steam. You want to have fun doing whatever you're doing. And that's really, really what I try to guide our treatment on. Well, tell me what a um, initial consultation looks like. Sure. So people come in, they're greeted by our office manager, Brandon. And, um, you know, a lot of times they filled out online paperwork beforehand. Uh, we have a reception area that's, that's really nice. It has some diplomas hanging up on the wall. We've got a merch rack with, uh, some tanks and t-shirts available for sale, um, mobility balls. Then they step into a giant functional space. So our clinic is actually an 1800 square foot warehouse that was completely vacant and new before we, before I got in there and I rebuilt it completely. And it's designed to be almost like a mini, a mini CrossFit gym, a mini personal training studio. It oh, looks very okay. functional. Okay. So, so it's, got, it's not, it's just not a doctor's office then. No, no, that's way too uh, stuffy. Good yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. We've got, we've got rubber mats. We've got, uh, that are all on the floor. We've got a bay door that we keep open when the weather's not too hot. We've got two squat racks that are anchored to the wall. We've got dumbbells, kettlebells. Um, we've got bumper plates. We sponsor an Olympic weightlifting team. Cool. So cool. when we rehab them and I want to recheck what it's like when they hit a snatch or they hit the bottom of a clean, we have the ability to be able to recheck that or to guide people up through progressions to prepare them for when they go back to a particular class or activity or sport. 
So, so talk about those progressions because it's obviously it's, it's goal setting. You're mm-hmm. you have a measurement that's X, and you want to get them to Y and Z. What does that look like? So that that is where uh, kind of going back to what you said earlier about a true sports medicine specialist will not get you back to everyday life, but actually all the way back to the activity that you want. Mm. And our goal is not to get you back the same, but better than before. So for example, um, we see a lot of people that come in with low back pain. A lot of people are nervous to deadlift after low back pain. They're a little fearful that when they first wake up in the morning, getting out of bed or rolling out of bed is going to be painful for them. So my job is to really educate them and empower them to let them know that as we continue to build mobility and then strength, that will be something that was a fear in the past that you no longer have to worry about that. And then from there, you know, once they get through sort of everyday life activities, then our next progression is to get you back towards whatever sport or activity you want to do. So, you know, how we're going to rehabilitate somebody who wants to get back to something like CrossFit or Olympic weightlifting is going to be a little bit different for that individual with low back pain versus maybe somebody who's preparing for a powerlifting meet, or maybe somebody works out at F45 and they need to be able to move in 8 million different planes of movement that may be a little bit different. Well, well, given the circles that I run in down here, it's more being able to get back to shuffleboard. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Nothing like a good sweet tea and some shuffleboard on Wednesday afternoon. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because you have a very well-developed website there and you had some terms on there because I, because I try to read pretty broadly, but I came across some terms I had not heard before. Um, I've heard of acupuncture, but not dry needling. So talk about dry needling and when you apply it. Sure. Dry needling is a great intervention. We actually did, we have a podcast for our practice called Tideline Talks. We actually did a whole episode on dry needling. So if anybody wants more information than the broad strokes that I'm giving, feel free to check that out. Sure. I'll put that in the show notes and, and in the introduction. Sure. Perfect. And, you know, dry needling is a great, it's a modality, it's a treatment intervention, and it is very similar to acupuncture in terms of the tools that we use. So we use, I'm not a big fan of the term dry needling because I think people hear needles, they kind of freak out a little bit that it's going to be either a tattoo, a cortisone injection, an epidural, something that's very like, you know, irk-breaking. Needles has a bad connotation all around from when we Absolutely. were kids, right? Absolutely. People, people have no problem with the term acupuncture. But basically what it is, is we use a, a needle that's the size of a cat whisker. There's no fluid in there, so it, hence the term dry. And what we, what we do is we find a particular area of dysfunction. So your muscles are supposed to slide back and forth like strands on a rope. Unfortunately, what can happen is if they get overloaded, they become dysfunctional and they become entangled, which is where we get the term muscle knot. It's a little bit more complex than that, but for today's purposes, that'll be suffice. And with dry needling, what we could do is we can actually go into the muscle knot itself and quote unquote release it. So we, um, when that muscle knot is held there, no nutrients can come into that muscle cell and no waste products can get out. Because a muscle is still a cell at the end of the day, right? It needs that nutrient and waste exchange. And so with that knot, there's dysfunction, there's pain, there's alteration of movement, um, there's uh, motor control issues that occur. So with dry needling, we're actually able to sort of hit the reset button. It's almost like hitting control alt delete on your muscle. And from there, that allows us to unlock your mobility and then allow us to actually get to the root cause of what's going on. So I used an example earlier about low back pain. Somebody comes in with low back pain, maybe they're having a lot of muscular tightness around their lower back. We can use dry needling to actually, quote unquote, release those muscles on their lower back 
now they can finally breathe a little bit more. They don't have to yep. be as fearful that they're going to roll over, twist, or move, or bend a certain way that's going to uh, reproduce their symptoms. Um, from there, then, that allows us to actually get to the root cause of what actually resulted in their low back pain to begin with. So dry needling is a great intervention. It is not super painful. I think a lot of people are worried that it's going to feel like a, a shot. It's going to feel you know, like any other experience that they've had with needles. It's something that's actually very commonplace in Denver, which is where I learned dry needling in the first place. Hmm. When I moved from Denver to Florida, what happened was uh, dry needling is a state-by-state -state basis on who's allowed to do it. And Florida at the time was a no state. And so finally in July of 2020, uh, the state of Florida allowed and approved us to be able to perform dry needling. And so it's a great intervention. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's a really yeah. great way to unlock things. Is, is this part of Eastern medicine? No. So yeah, that's a good point. So the difference between dry needling and acupuncture, so acupuncture is very Eastern philosophy, very Eastern based. They're right. working off of meridians, chi. They're right. using the needle right. to sort of unlock a meridian that will allow a certain either mechanical musculoskeletal process or maybe a non-mechanical things like uh, maybe appetite suppressant, uh, quitting smoking, things like that, insomnia. What we use dry needling for, it's more of the sports medicine version of acupuncture, right? Somebody's somebody's tight, somebody's locked up, some yeah. type of muscle is not moving the way that it should. And then now what we're going to do is literally apply that in a more mechanical fashion. And uh, that's really kind of at the heart of it. That's, I think, the biggest difference between acupuncture and dry needling. Okay, cool. The other thing I was curious about, and many of us, of course, watch the Olympics. The last time Michael Phelps was swimming, he had all these strange looking circles all around his back. It looked like they were big hickeys, for lack of a better <laughs> term. And he was a believer in cupping. And I've, I'm really curious, what is cupping and what does it do? So cupping is actually something that... Um, we actually don't do it as much here in tide, at Tideline Sports Performance. Uh, with the with the introduction of dry needling into the Florida State Practice Act, um, cupping has sort of become an outdated modality. The sure. thought behind cupping was that it would apply a certain amount of pressure through the skin and then through the underlying tissue, especially into the fascia, that saran wrap that surrounds some of the tissues yep. to allow the, an area to decompress. So um, rather than like a massage where you're going and pressing down into the muscle with something like cupping, you're actually, the thought process is that you're actually sucking things up and drawing things out into what we call myofascial decompression to mm -hmm. allow that area underneath a little bit more wiggle room, a little bit more room to breathe. Um, the issue is that cupping is very superficial. I think yep. cupping is actually a little bit more painful than dry needling. It results really? in those bruising uh, patterns that you see on athletes like Michael Phelps. Looks like the cracking got a hold of him, right? And, um, you know, cupping, I think, is a little bit more outdated. I included it on the website just because some people are familiar with that. Yes. Um, we will occasionally do it, but really, honestly, if the area that we would be treating, I would much rather do dry needling than I would cupping because I think dry needling is much more effective. It's much more concentrated into the area versus trying to go through the layers of the skin, down to the fascia, into um, into the hoping that you get to the spot and deep enough to get into the muscle. So um, definitely something that has been used in the past, but I think you're going to slowly start to see cupping be 
more of an antiquated modality and we're going to start to see dry needling take over a little bit more. Very cool. Very cool. Very interesting. Okay. So now we are to the, for me, which is the big question of our talk today, CrossFit for an orthopedist? Really? Oh, I mean, yeah. Come on, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> what about those joints? Why did you get older or whatnot and those movements and, and lifting heavy weights and slamming them down and, and all oh, that sort man. of stuff? Tell me about it. Oh, you know what? So I, I played rugby for almost a decade, loved it. I uh, had a bunch of injuries that I won't even list off too long to to list. But when I got to residency, I was kind of I dabbled into a little bit of powerlifting, a little bit more of uh, kind of bodybuilding style training. Started to get really bored because I missed that team camaraderie. I found a CrossFit gym that was very close to my apartment in Cleveland. And so, of course, you know, I'm working with the other Cleveland Clinic sports medicine team, and they're all making fun of me for doing CrossFit for the exact right. same reason. They had the same right. attitude you did. Right, right. They actually called uh, they called it team rhabdo practice. So rhabdomyolysis is when your muscle tissue breaks down so much that your kidneys get overloaded. So yes. rhabdo is the abbreviated term for it. So they used to tell me, you know, as I would leave the clinic team and go rhabdo. to CrossFit, they'd be like, oh, got to go off to team rhabdo practice. So that's fun. And, and excuse me, excuse me, just so the listeners will understand. And when you, you're, excuse me for being a little bit grosser, but when you urinate, it's brown, correct? Absolutely. It's all the broken down myoglobin, all that muscle tissue <laughs> that just your, your body couldn't filter it out. So it just has to you know, oh, get rid of boy. it. It's uh, it is. Rabdo, I've actually seen Rabdo more often in non-crossfitters than I have in CrossFitters. Huh, so interesting. Just I'm just gonna put that out there as my little plug. But so 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 I mean, listen, since you're gonna model the behavior, you want your patients, you know, to follow, uh, why is a guy who's in the ortho as an orthopedist, why does he do CrossFit? Because you know, I've let like some of the uh, kipping movements that they do as they're doing um, chin-ups and, again, some of these large weights and whatnot. So what's your thoughts on it as far as a long-term vehicle for, you know, to maintain your health? And I think it's great. I, yeah. could, not, I could not be a bigger believer of CrossFit. Um, cool. I think it is, it is an amazing community, and I think that is the, one of the key elements of it. I think the other thing too is it's very multimodal, right? You're not going into the gym and just lifting and then kind of taking breaks between sets. You're not just running uh, outside. You're kind of combining so many different elements of strength, power, endurance, gymnastics, um, so many things that go into it. There are things that I do at CrossFit that I never thought that I would have right. been able to do. I am short and frumpy. I never thought that I'd be up on the rings doing ring muscle ups. And oh, in a good. couple of years, I was able to master that. And I'll tell you what, it is, it'll, it pushes you to explore new territory. Now it's not for everybody. We talked, you talked a little sure. bit about kipping pull-ups and, you know, there's a proponent of shoulder health and things that go into that. If you do CrossFit the right way, Everybody that goes in who's a new CrossFit athlete needs to undergo a fundamentals training course to make sure that they have the movement patterns down that are going to be required to do the class. If you don't have the necessary strength and or mobility to do it, you technically really shouldn't be doing it. So right. we talk about, you know, kipping, butterfly pull-ups. We talk about things like bar and ring muscle-ups, snatching, things like that. That is not for everybody. There are plenty of patients that I have that I say, you know what? I don't think kipping is right for you at this point. We're going to stay doing what we call strict pull-ups or we're going to stay light here. 
Do, do you think that it also has to do with your body structure? Because some of the guys, because you'll come across this on YouTube, you know, some guy's 84 years old and he's cleaning, jerking, you know, 150 pounds or whatever, but he's five foot four. <laughs> so, so I'm six two. And to be able to do that, I, I'm just curious whether, you know, from a, from a scientific perspective, your scientific perspective, like now the taller guys need to maybe not do certain movements. So there is, so there's a big running joke in the CrossFit community that the best CrossFitters are short, right? For that exact yeah. reason, because yeah. they're moving the weight a uh, smaller distance, right? Matt, Matt uh, Frazier, right? Matt, Matt Frazier. Frazier. Absolutely. But then, you know, you get guys like Brett Fikowski that are, you know, from Canada, they're really tall and tall people have an advantage. You talk about, there's a movement called wall balls where you're throwing a weighted ball tw- uh, 10 feet up into the air. And if you're, I'm five, seven and a half. And if you, if you're six, two, and you're throwing the ball to a 10 foot target, you've got a shorter distance at that point. The rower is another big example, the rowing machine. Uh, you know, you're going to have a longer yeah. pull, longer stroke. Yeah. So that it's just kind of a running joke that, you know, all of us that are short in CrossFit, you know, are really good at weightlifting. And then all the guys that are taller are good at like gymnastics and, and some of the, you know, wall balls and rowing, things like that. But, you know, they've actually done some studies uh, related to CrossFit. There's actually a great uh, article out in a, in a publication called Sports Health that looked at the risk for shoulder injuries and CrossFit mm. athletes compared mm. to division one collegiate sports. And they found that there really wasn't an increased risk for CrossFit athletes. Right. Um, and you know, it comes down to everything with, if you do something with poor technique, poor mobility, poor strength, you're going to have a bad time. Right. So it makes no difference. If you go to LA fitness crunch or a commercial gym and you try to bench press 225 and you don't have the strength for that, you chew the front of your shoulder up and you come to my office. I'm not going to make fun of you for it. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you like, Hey man, here's what's going on. But it's the same thing. You know, you have no business tipping until you can master, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's a very, a very progressive fashion, just yeah. like everything else. And I think some of the people get in trouble when they, they skip a few steps because they want to, they want to play around with sure. the big boys and be competitive sure. and ego sure. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see where it can be really addictive because you, know, you got a group of people that are encouraging you and, and cheering you on and whatnot. And again, you're lifting weights over your head and probably have never done that in your life. You're, you're allowed to slam them since those are bumper plates. <laughs> so uh, that's really that, that sounds really, really cool. Well, so let's, let's back to your practice here. Where do you where would you like to take your practice? Sure. So the, the practice is doing great right now. We have an amazing dream team of an office manager who obviously runs the day-to-day practice. We also, he also uh, does our wellness services, which includes nutrition and performance coaching. We have our lead clinician, Dr. Mallory Kalinowski, and she takes care of the majority of the patients that come through the door. And the next step that I'd like to go is to hire another clinician. Uh, We've been kind of lovingly calling them the third nerd. So they would be the third clinician. So rather than saying third clinician, we've just been saying the third nerd. So we're abstract saying, well, when the third nerd gets here, we'll, we'll take care of this and we're going to get this set up for the third nerd. But I would like to add another clinician. Uh, We're getting close to the point where our volume uh, is going to be hard to sustain with just two clinicians and really one and a half clinicians if you include myself. And, um, you know, I think that's one, one area that the practice will grow. The other thing too is, you know, my, my goal is to be the premier sports medicine and sports rehab facility for this area. So my, my mission has been to meet and greet as many people in this industry and in the health and wellness industry as possible 
those that aren't just in CrossFit, but that are also, we had a running coach on earlier on our podcast and just people that are, that are out there in the community that are just doing really cool stuff and things that are related to our field. And how can we build a better community for this area? Well, you're conveniently located right off of 75 and Route 70. You're at 5320 Lena Road in Bradenton. So it's mm-hmm. easy to get to. And um, I'd encourage anybody that if uh, you are looking for a orthopedist who's worked for the Cleveland, Ca- Cla- excuse me, Cleveland Cavaliers and with the Cleveland Indians and has a great background, not only in sports medicine, but is a practitioner of that, stop by and... Uh, and give uh, Dr. Michael Sclafani a, a call. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the shout out and the invitation Our, to come aboard today. Yeah, you bet you bet you. It's, it's been a pleasure to have you. So let's do it again in the future and see, see how far you've taken your business. Oh, yeah. Very good. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.